We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Thirty Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sides TV podcast. I'm Kate Kalzik, and with me is, of course, Simon Howell. We're back for another fun week of talking through the week in TV. It's a it's a full one this this time. One might say too full. Yeah, lots of pilots and premieres. But yeah, we're going to have a great show to talk about our week in TV and do a little bit of an episode spotlight on Crawl Space from Breaking Bad, the episode from this past Sunday. And then, of course, we're going to have a trip to the DVD shelf with uh, the Big Red podcast's Alyssa Boehm. And we're going to talk Middleman, which is uh, a nice uh, series that a lot of people might not have caught yet. So so how was your week, Simon? Cluttered. Uh, all the way to this morning's incredibly dull press conference. <laughs> which I suppose is a, is a nice compliment to uh, some of the incredibly dull pilots we have to talk about. Good times, but it's not all bad. There's lots of great stuff, no, it too. Isn't. We have, of course, uh, some reviews up on the site. Mine for Doctor Who, yours for Breaking Bad. Of course, Giannis is going to be reviewing Community for us, and I believe that he's going to be doing that every week, so uh, that's a lot of fun, and you guys can, of course, go to the website and check those out there. Um, last week, of course, I put up an uh, article about TV trends in high school-based TV programs, so I did sort of a statistical analysis, which was a lot of fun, lots of charts and graphs and things to, to let my geek heart sing. And we got some fun comments, too. Uh, Vlad wants us to wants me to do a scatter plot next time, so I'll have to work on that, and uh, so I can do more trends and formula and, and etc. So my article tomorrow is going to be about TV universes that you either would or would not want to live in. So that should be fun. Do you have any particular thoughts on that? Oh, you're the you're the TV catalog universe cataloging expert, uh, as especially as your uh, ridiculous statistical analysis uh, column showed. I'm going to leave that to you. Oh, good times, but yeah, let's go ahead and uh, start off our week in TV. So we had the premiere of Glee. So you hadn't watched Glee, as I understand, before this. Uh, no, I, I have. Um, I, I mean, I, I fell out with Glee for a while. I, I watched most, of the, most if not all, of the first season and a good chunk of the second before I decided, you know, this is Glee and I, we're done. So I decided to check back in uh, for this third season premiere, and I didn't <laughs> regret the time spent away, I have to say, just despite, uh, despite the acclaim. Yeah, I I mean, as mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, I was really looking forward to the premiere and to season three in general because of the injection of fresh blood in the writer's room. However, the premiere was written by Ryan Murphy, and so it was a lot of the same problems as, as last year. It didn't go, it wasn't as bad as the worst episodes last year, but it felt hollow. It was lacking the heart and truth and real wit that elevates the show and that makes it really great when it is great and they need to the i can't believe i'm going to say this but they need to get rid of jane lynch 
because as fabulous <laughs> as she is, Sue Sylvester has no place on this show right now. It's it's Urkel syndrome that you know too much of a good thing, and uh, she's kind of taking over the show and not in a good way. So, I think the person who really uh, needs to be taken out, or or at least uh, seriously rewired, is Will uh, Matthew Morrison's character. Uh, he needs to be either. Uh, killed off or <laughs> he needs to have a lobotomy or a personality change uh, or disorder or I don't know he, he that character needs to be totally rethought uh, he's utterly charmless at this point to me yeah I'm I'm sorry to agree with you but I, I, I do I wish I had more faith in the show right now the, the premiere was weak enough that I didn't want to come back next week and I I didn't like any of the music and I'm a huge musicals geek I love uh, I, I love a lot of the music that they've been able to make over the years, but I don't know. I'm hoping with when we start getting some episodes written by some some of the newer people that it'll get better. But if it hasn't improved in the next couple of weeks, I think I'm going to have to drop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I, I I don't unless I hear that uh, it's really turned turned uh, the ship around. I think I won't even bother with that. Yeah. On Tuesday, we also had the pilot to Unforgettable, which was on CBS. Now, you didn't get a chance to catch up with this one. No, I forgot. Yeah, it's still, I still can't get over how terrible that title is. Um, anyways, it's it's pretty standard procedural fare. The they have a they have a strong cast, or at least a a reliable cast. Um, Poppy Montgomery, I liked her on on Without a Trace, and she's strong here, though she needs too much. Uh, she's had too much Botox and. Uh, injections and things so she, I don't it's kind of unsettling to me a little bit but she's she's solid so is Dylan Walsh uh, who I, I enjoy and it's nice I particularly like they have Michael Gaston and Kevin Rankin it starts out pretty um, straight straightforward and even strong for a procedural but they bungle the ending and make it really cliche and kind of terrible so I mean, I, and oh, also Poppy Montgomery's accent is all over the place. I don't really know what's going on going on with that because she's, of course, Australian, but um, the character isn't, and I don't know what's what's up with that. It's, if you're looking for a new procedural, maybe check it out. But for me, it's not as good as the other procedurals that I currently keep up with, so I'm not going to check into it again. I was actually kind of surprised that I thought Ringer had the best episode on Tuesday, and the episode two of Ringer I didn't think was particularly good, but I still liked it better than either Glee or Unforgettable. Was it was it an improvement on uh, on the pilot? Yes, if only because it wasn't as chaotic, but mostly it's just there were a couple scenes that I thought were good. There was a lot of badness. Ewan Griffiths is is really strong on it and Mr. Carbonell is really good. But yeah, there's a lot of problems with it and I don't know, if they don't drastically improve in a couple of weeks I'll have to drop Ringer too, but but yeah, at least it was better than Glee for whatever that means. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping for a ringing endorsement. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh. <laughs> on Wednesday, we had the X Factor pilot, which as much as they're trying to sell themselves as different than American Idol, uh, no, it's American Idol. And unfortunately, it was two hours long. So it was two hours of American Idol. And I would rather watch maybe a couple clips on YouTube. That's how I usually watch uh, American Idol. There there were some some good singers, of course, when you're auditioning that many people, you're gonna get some good people. But the show is way too in love with itself. It's trying to manufacture a new rivalry between Simon Cowell and one of the other judges, Ellie Reed. 
I mean, first of all, Simon Cowell should wear less eyeliner. I shouldn't care about that, but that's all I kept thinking about when I was watching it. And as great as the show can be, they still love reveling in the pain of the failures too much for me to want to watch it at all. And then also, the particular moment that I, air quotes, enjoyed uh, was when the one of the guys came out and uh, stripped and flashed the entire thousands of people audience, and then they let him go for two refrains. They did not stop him. Paul Abdul left and went to the bathroom to throw up, but they let him keep going so that they could show all that. And as soon as you're going to have somebody, you know, and then they treated his judging process as they would a actual contestants. I thought that was fairly despicable and um, just, and it tells you everything you need to know about the show. Yeah. Fair enough. Does the, does the lack of an age restriction do anything for it or? There's some cute kids who can sing. But uh, the thing, being a musician, one of the things that bothers me with that is that whenever you see a talented but raw young singer and, and they start succeeding at something like this, I'm always nervous because that to me means it's very possible they won't get the training that they need and they will overstress their voice and they will, they will start defining themselves by what their voice sounds like when they're 12 or 13 or 15 when their voice won't fully mature for several more years. So I'm always leery of that anyways. But yeah, there was a cute kid, you know, they started out with that was very sassy and fun. So I'm sure that that some people will like it, but no, not not for me. Fair enough. Um, Normally we would talk about these a little longer, but because it's such a full week, we're just going to kind of do like a sentence each on Up All Night Episode 2 and Free Agents Episode 2. Last week, I liked the Up All Night pilot better than Free Agents. This week, I think they swapped places. Everything that you had a problem with in Up All Night was drastically worse in this second episode. Um, the entitlement and and just the fact that these people seem to have way too many first world problems for me to care about them. Um, and then free agents, I thought the was much better this week. Uh, did you catch up with both of these or just just the one? I did watch free agents. Uh, I was a little bit leery of the third act. Oh, we they were pros the whole time. Twist because you know they go out to a bar and. He's supposed to meet these, he's supposed to hook up a client with these women and they turn out to be prostitutes. It's like, okay, well, that's old hat. I mean, this is something we've seen a million times before. That being said, I think there's still laughs. I, I think they're taking some time to develop the supporting cast, which is a good move. Uh, and I still think it's got more promise than Up All Night does, which is amazing considering the cast and crew that Up All Night has. Yeah, unfortunately, the ratings have been pretty terrible for free agents. So there's some question as to whether it'll even be on the air for very much longer. But I do have to say, after two episodes, I'm way more interested in free agents than Up All Night. So Agreed. We'll have to see what happens. There also was, of course, the big Modern Family premiere. It was a two-episode affair and got gangbuster ratings, probably somewhat buoyed by the by the Emmy Award suite. Uh, what did you think of the premiere? You know, I, I kind of feel like with Modern Family, it's the sitcom that I that I enjoy while I'm watching it, and then never think about while I'm while I'm not watching it. It's it's very much a it's an incre- I'm not surprised that it's as popular as it is. It's very amiable. It's very easily digestible, and for that, it does those. It has it embodies those qualities, and it does it in a funny way. It's in, it's incredibly well executed, executed, well written, well acted, and I think the uh, this I, I was able to just watch the first episode actually, and I thought it was uh, you know par for the course for them uh, on the I would I would say on the upper end of of, of what they do. 
Interesting. I actually had a lot more problems with the premiere, particularly the first episode. I thought that the writing was actually fairly mediocre to poor, and the characters, most of them felt like complete caricatures. Well, while it's still fun to spend time with particularly Ty Burrell when he's a character, character, or actually I love uh, Luke, Nolan Gould, the, the kid who plays him. I mean, mm-hmm. when everybody in that cast is getting Emmy nominations, Nolan Gould should be getting an Emmy nomination rather than some of the other performances. Mm-hmm. And they were actually a lot of fun in, in both episodes, but they've made Claire and Cam and Mitchell and even Gloria such caricatures at this point that I'm not as interested in them as I would be. I thought the second episode was actually a lot better, a lot more of their standard fare, didn't have Gloria just being loud all the time and deriving humor from that. Now, to be, to be fair, she did have an ear-popping problem. Yeah. You know, that's serious. That is, that is a dramatic, you should get that looked at. That could be serious and not just an excuse for her to be loud. Um, Tim Blake Nelson was good, I thought, in the uh, in the premiere. Yes. But all in all, I, I wish they would get back to having the more multifaceted characters that we saw in the first season. Um, instead of just driving cheap laughs out of obvious ploys, but... They they do they do seem to enjoy rehashing the sort of same dynamics like especially between uh, uh, Ty Burrell and Ed O'Neill. It, it doesn't seem like they ever make much progress there. So a little disappointing for me. More of the same for you. I think it's because I I like it as a, the show overall more than you do. I, I would guess that's entirely possible. To follow that up, I watched the hour finale on BBC America, and it was awesome. It was really good. I was very, very uh, happy. Uh, I When I was watching it, because, of course, there's the conspiracy drama. There's the, the Suez Canal, England going to war, maybe, drama. And then there's the relationship stuff as well. And uh, not all of it was executed equally well, but... There was a, there were several parts of this episode where I was absolutely engrossed. A lot of the times when I'm watching these shows, I'm taking notes. I'm, you know, checking up on Twitter and that sort of thing. When I was watching The Hour, it drew my attention away from anything else that was going on. And I was getting, like, goosebumps during one particular uh, segment of the episode when they're they're on live TV and are they, you know, they're going to, the guys are racing down to pull the plug because they're saying stuff the government doesn't want them to say. And it was very dramatic and very well executed. So apparently another season has been ordered by the BBC and I would assume that it'll be, that it will be shown here as well on BBC America. So I'm really looking forward to it. The Several of these actors have been a real discovery for me. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and I strongly suggest anybody who is looking for a period sort of piece or a historical thing or conspiracy even thriller should check out the hour it's only six episodes and it's a lot of fun so um, i followed that up with some just desserts which was fun and good uh it wasn't as as much fun for me as last week but they created their own candy bars this week which was kind of cool and uh then they had to make uh treats at a water park so it's you know pretty standard fare but it's always i think sort of light fluffy fun so i enjoy just desserts um, and then the last thing from Wednesday that I have is the Revenge Pilot. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one that friend of the show, Sound On Sight contributor Josh Youngerman, has been looking forward to for quite a long time and had picked as one of his best slash worst new shows of the year. We were not very optimistic on it in our, our pilot preview episode. So what did you think of Re- Revenge? Well, I think I have to eat a bit of crow here. I mean, first of all, I mean, it's a it's a 
teen-oriented, I suppose you might say, drama called Revenge. So I think it's, uh, I, I think it was safe to keep expectations low. Uh, that being said, I, I do think this is actually one of the better pilots we've seen this season, which shocks me to say. Um, I still don't particularly. I think that I think its real stumbling block is there aren't too many characters that I actually care about at this point. I mean, I I think the I mean, the whole the set of, the setting up of the revenge plot is is really uh, is is quite well done. I think Emily Van Camp is 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 quite good in the role. I do think revenge is a pretty thin motivator for an entire series. That's I mean, but but not worrying about that quite yet. I think as just as a pilot, I thought it was strong. It was really nice to see Madeline Stowe again. I can't remember the last time personally I saw her uh, in anything. And um, yeah, I'm 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 actually curious to tune in next week. Yeah, I I was very impressed by Emily Van Camp. I think she is the reason that this show works. I think Madeline Stowe is also a big part of that. But the balance that she strikes between being likable and yet also incredibly driven in her revenge, I think, is very well done and very well played. And that sort of balance and nuance is something that, for example, Eddie Cibrian would be wonderful if he could learn from, from her a bit, make Playboy Club kind of watchable. But but no, I, I think that I think the show works so much better than I expected. I don't think any of the characters besides, you know, Emily Van Camp and, and Madeline Stowe's characters have any depth or interest at this point. But, you know, for a pilot it's not bad and for a show if I I, mean, I probably won't check in next week just because there are other shows that I, I have enough on my docket and this didn't knock anything off. But if I were looking for a new show or, or a kind of soapy sort of, sort of drama, little escapist fun, this would definitely be on my list. So yeah, I, I think it's, if people are looking for a new show, it's one to check out. Josh will be happy. <laughs> Next we have the Charlie's Angels pilot. Did you catch this one? <laughs> Hell no. This is, this is a, this is a bullet for you to bite. Okay, it's Charlie's Angels. There we go. Um, is that it? Okay, good. It's pretty much just Charlie's Angels. Victor Garber is, is Charlie, and he sounds kind of odd. I don't really like what he's doing there, but I feel like that's more the character. Like, it's I feel like it's an attempt to tie it back to the original show, but no, it's it's not very good. The action scenes work, I suppose, but if I want to watch action scenes, I will watch a different Victor Garber show, and I will put in my Alias DVDs, because... They're far more interesting. So, yeah, I don't think this is one's going to do well. It's not good. It's not interesting. Let's move on. Big Bang Theory came back also with a double uh, double episode on Thursday. Now, you don't. What's your history with Big Bang? I have none. I, I've seen stray episodes here and there. It's it's tryhard brand of of geek humor has never done much for me. Maybe that's something. Maybe maybe you need to watch more of it to grow attached to the characters, but. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's never hooked me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, it's one that I kind of dropped in on, but I didn't didn't like until I went back to the beginning and gave it a serious shot due to the prompting of one of my friends. And so I do like it. I think it's been weak in the past, uh, particularly one season, if not two seasons. Um, but I thought the premiere was good. It resolved the end of season Penny Raj thing, I think, very well. There were some nice moments for pretty much everybody in the cast. And it looks like it's off to a good start, much better than last year. So they they gave Penny the struggling actress. She finally got her first gig, which is uh, something that's long overdue. So hopefully they will give her more workplace stuff to do instead of just constantly 
giving her the same three notes to play. But I thought it was solid, and fans of Big Bang Theory will like it. Uh, moving on to the rest of the the Thursday comedy night block, we had uh, we had Community on NBC. What did you think of the premiere? Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to say um, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Where do you stand on Community season one versus season two? Because I think that's an important question to answer right now. Season two is much better than season one as a whole. Um, <laughs> season one, I feel like people. I'm sure you disagree. It's a it's a contentious issue, but having watched them both. Um, in close proximity to each other. I think that season one has far more holes and it takes longer than people remember to get going. I think there are several weaker episodes at the beginning of the season, at least for me. Um, and season two got too gimmicky, but it still, as a whole, I think was better than season one. <laughs> I get the sense you disagree. I, I feel like as it's gone on, the clever to funny ratio for community has gone the wrong direction. Uh, I, th- I think it's gotten increasingly clever and decreasingly funny. And I think this premiere was a perfect example of that. You get all this inside TV humor that's, you know, engineered to be funny to people like you and I. And, you know, I see what you're doing, guys. And I'm just, I'm not laughing. I don't remember laughing out loud at least once over the course. And that's just death. That's death for a sitcom. And uh, I, th- I think this is probably like one of the five least interesting community episodes I think I've ever seen. And, you know, like the, I don't know, like the, like the TV homages and the, you know, the, all the callbacks, it just, it didn't really add up to anything for me. That's cool. You can be wrong. I thought Kubishin <laughs> Abbey was hilarious and I totally want you to would. see some more Inspector Space Time because I think that's awesome. I just love, particularly with the, the Cougarton Abbey and Inspector Space Time, I love how true that was to the characters because Britta is totally... Totally a character who would be all pretentious about British TV, and I thought it was very in keeping with character. I didn't think it all worked, um, but I really am interested to see where they're going to go this season. I think the introduction of John Goodman is promising. I think it'll be fun to watch Michael K. Williams get to do some comedy. Of course, we know him as uh, Omar from The Wire, and he's been on Boardwalk Empire as well. But no, I thought I don't get all the hate. I thought there was a lot of really fun stuff. I loved the 2001 homage. Of course, I loved 2001. That was good. You know, that was actually, that was, I, again, I didn't laugh, but it was very well executed. I will say, though, that I didn't think John Goodman or Michael K. Williams was particularly good. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know. I, I thought they were, they were, they were being what, what people expect them to be like. I, I didn't th- feel like, they didn't feel integrated at all. Did the uh, musical number even do anything for you? No. Oh, see, because no. I, I thought that Tired was great. Tar- <laughs> nope, sorry. I, I mean, I was I was sort of hoping when that happened that it was going to be a full-on, because Dan Harmon's been very open about his hatred of Glee, mm-hmm. so I was sort of hoping they were going to do a whole Glee takedown episode, which I would totally go for. But, uh, yeah, for me, this is just another... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm edging very closely into the realm of being an active community non-fan, so you're on notice. Six seasons in a movie. We'll see. Um, let's move move on to Parks and Rec. Uh, what did you think of this pilot or premiere? Oh, Parks and Rec! How I love you. Uh, so nice, so nice to have it back. Uh, by far, I think the best comedy uh, that NBC's got going, and I think probably the most consistent comedy on TV. Um, I thought it was a really, <clears throat> you know, not necessarily a, a premiere for the books or anything. I, I think it was a it was a solid episode. Uh, I did think that the last scene between uh, Amy Poehler and Adam Scott was very sweet and my i was watching it with my very cynical roommate who doesn't watch the show and even he let out an ah. 
it was it was it, it, it was a nicely earned moment and that that's the thing that parks and rec does better than almost anybody else is is, is earning these, these moments of sentimentality amidst all the wackiness and I, I think it has that balance down better than almost anyone i feel like that balance which i absolutely agree is the best thing that it what it does better than anybody else. I feel it reminds me strongly of The Office Season 2 and their ability to mix the humor with the Jim and Pam sort of relationship stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I just... It, it, from the start of the episode, the very beginning with, with Ron running away, I love that he had a contingency plan set and he was just he was just gone. Uh, it was fabulous. And, yeah, they, they've managed... I like the steps that they take with Andy to to progress him so that he doesn't get too stymied in the same role and become too much of a caricature. I'm excited to see what we get with Tammy one. So I think the season is off to a, a great start. And it, like you said, it's great to have Parks and Rec back on my TV. Mm-hmm. And I think also they're, they're trying to avoid with, uh, with Andy, uh, the pitfalls of Jim and Pam, which is maybe where we should start talking about the office. Um, what did you think of the premiere? I actually thought it was fairly solid. Uh, I, I didn't see all of the previous season. I, I, I caught, I caught, you know, let's say just over half. I thought it was important to check back in now that you know Steve Carell is officially gone. Um, I think that uh, James Spader is hilarious and creepy in all the right ways. Yeah, I, I think he's he's great to watch. Uh, I really like what they did with Andy Bernard as manager. I think that was a, a really smart move uh, on their choice, uh, both in the show and for the show. I think uh, that's going to do a lot for them. Uh, that being said, they need to uh, eliminate Jim and Pam. They're useless. They need to decide what they're going to do with them because the characters don't make sense at this point. The Jim we have now uh, is so different in his just in his ability to do his job. He used to be by far the best person they had there with the exception of Michael Scott's occasional glimpses of brilliance but it doesn't make sense for the character that we have seen to not get the the manager position so if they want to make it that he is doing a mediocre to crap job at work because he doesn't care about it and he's spending all his energy at home they should do that but I think that that is a, a problem I didn't find weepy Pam particularly and entertaining. I thought that last moment at the end was cute. I, mm-hmm. Come on, that was yeah. cute. But uh, I think the biggest thing that can be said for this episode is that I didn't miss Steve Carell. I thought it was really funny and really well done. And the fact that they were able to to move right on after after he's been gone and to, to succeed this this much, I think is is high praise. So I'm I'm probably not going to check in for the rest of the season just because there are so many other comedies on uh on thursday that i would rather spend my time with but it seems like it's rewarding to long-term fans so mm-hmm. yeah for sure I, I would agree with that assessment and I, I i do hope they find a way to make jim and pam not incredibly boring yeah speaking of uh thursday comedies i would rather spend my time with how about always sunny i thought it was an, another another pretty strong episode and also i think uh, an incredibly crazy episode they, they've been going really for broke lately i mean this week we got a you know, a shooting and an impromptu surgery. We got the waitress on ecstasy, uh, which was, I, you know, anytime they wheel out the whole waitress Charlie dynamic, I'm in. Like, I'm I'm there for that because those scenes are always great, um, especially knowing that they're married in real life. And then, you know, they're sort of milking this, this like, <laughs> I mean, it should be a tortured dynamic, except that, uh, but Charlie's just so oblivious. that He's just, you know, he's perfectly happy with his sandcastle, whether or not, 
waitress on ecstasy is there. Um, and I thought they had a lot of fun with the whole Jersey Shore phenomenon and, you know, sort of poking holes in, in the, the depiction of, of, of that area. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was so much fun. And really, a Jersey Shore episode should feel tired by this point. It's not like the Jersey Shore is a new thing. It's not like it's a, a recent phenomenon. But I, like you said, I love the Charlie and Waitress stuff. Whenever that pops up, that's so much fun. I think partially because they don't overdo it. We just get a little bit of that each season. Um, and then, uh, you know, rum ham. How can you not love rum ham? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and even the, I love, the thing I love about when we get Dennis and Dee together, because that they don't actually get paired up for a full episode as frequently as, as one might expect. But I love how clearly they are siblings. You can absolutely see, like, they're basically the same person with slight tweaks, which I find really entertaining. Um, so, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the hair and the Jersey Shore thing, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. So um, I think mm-hmm. we could talk about this for a while longer, but we should keep moving because there's more pilots, such as Prime Suspect. Oh, this was one of our, like, theoretically, it could be good, but we're not sure kind of show. So what did you think of the pilot? I actually didn't mind it. I I, I heard some really negative things in, in various circles. Um, and I think it's, I think the, the, the whole show would be about 34% better if Maria Bello ditched that goddamn hat. But that being said, I mean, I, I can't not in, enjoy on some level a gritty cop show with with Maria Bello and Brian F. O'Byrne and Kenny Johnson and Kirk Acevedo. I mean, and, you know, with, and, you know, directed in, in typical style by Peter Berg. I mean, this is pretty much in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I liked it a lot um, better than I was expecting given all the negative reviews. I don't get all of the negative reviews. Uh, and first of all, the hat was driving me nuts in the promos. In the actual episode, I thought it was fine. I don't get what everybody's freaking out about the hat no, about. Sorry. Like, it's not a good hat. They're they're and I mean and the one real problem with with the show is that the sexism is really over the top, which I yeah that's the biggest problem which I think should be dialed down but really they should be saving the discrimination for her choice in hats, <laughs> nice not her choice in genitals have it be a more a millinerism as opposed to sexism yeah the show feels dated due to the sexism it's ridiculous I I mean it's just absolutely ridiculous. However, that aside, and I'm hoping that they will adjust that and adjust it quickly because it doesn't make any sense and mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. And nobody's it's watching it, right? Terrible. And nobody's watching the show, and maybe this is one of the reasons why because I might not have checked it out due to the previews based on how ridiculous the sexism in it is. However, that being said, I was so happy to see Lem back. Uh, I've been slowly catching up on The Shield, so Kenneth Johnson, I thought was great. And I really liked the character, uh, the you know, Jane. I thought that Maria Bella was, was good, but I also liked that this is, she seemed like a much more developed character than I expected, more well-rounded, and not just, she lives for the job, like we would expect, you know, she has a functional home life, she she might have trouble, trouble she might be tough as nails, but she also is being affected by the discrimination she's feeling, so, um, yeah. Oh, and I also like uh, Aiden Quinn in this too. I think he's I think mm-hmm. he's promising as the boss. But with a cast this good and material to work with, that if they ditch the sexism thing, could be really strong. This I think 
could grow into a great show, but the problem, or at least a very good show, but we'll see if it gets a chance because it did not get particularly great ratings, but hopefully with NBC's other problems, they'll let this one kind of grow for a while, but mm-hmm. I don't know what will happen with it. Um, let's uh, move on to Friday. We had a, the a Gifted Man pilot on CBS. Uh this is a cast of stars, and it was directed by Jonathan Demi. What did you think of the pilot? Oh, uh, no, it's not very good. Um, this, this was maybe the last thing I watched. Uh, I mean, God, you've got – I love Patrick Wilson. There was a time when he could do no wrong. And you've got Jennifer Ela in there, and you've got Pablo Schreiber and, and Margot Martindale in the role of the assistant, which really – is this really what she needs to be doing right now? I mean, you know, it's it's another – it's another, you know, medical procedural about, uh, you know, about a, a, a super skilled person who has a weird quirk. In this case, he can see a, the ghost of his uh, of his ex-wife. Uh, I mean, there's it's just it's airless, uninteresting television uh, that threatens to go somewhere a few times. And I mean, the pilot is, of course, nicely directed, has a, ni- a few nice visual uh, elements. Uh, that I'm sure will be gone once Jonathan Demme is not around. So yeah, not nothing of interest to me. They had a really good director and a really good cast, and they made a mediocre to poor pilot. I think that tells us everything we need to know. The the one other the two other things I would mention, um, as much as they can try to make Julie Ben seem trampy by having her wear ridiculously brightly colored bras and white see through tops. She's still classy, so I sorry. I just Julie. She's too likable for her to seem like a down on her luck, trampy, classless sort of stupid person. Um, like she's both like the way, at least what we're supposed to think of her. Um, and then the other thing is that this is a show about a neurosurgeon, who, who is you know amazing, best at his field, and he sees his dead wife and then goes to Google. And Google's hallucinations and Google's brain tumors. Yeah. The main genius uses Google mm-hmm. for his research on himself. Mm-hmm. So just just so that we understand that he's not sure what's going on, we need to visualize him googling yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. However, I was very pleasantly surprised by the Supernatural premiere. Now, you don't watch Supernatural, but, and this is not a good, to anybody who's listening, who's thinking of jumping on, this is not a good time to jump on. Um, go back and catch up with the show on DVD. It'll take a while, but I think it's worth it. I, I think it has a really great five-season arc. And then the sixth season, I wasn't sure about. Didn't like how they left the season finale last year. But this premiere, I thought, was really strong. I I liked a lot of the stuff with Cass as God. Yeah, one of the characters becomes God. It's a thing. Well, sort of. And it was always great to have to have Lucifer and Death back, which was... A lot of fun, and whenever death pops up, it's good times. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I like that we got answers about purgatory. I liked a lot of the decisions. I'm not sure what I'm that I really buy the 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 acting choices made by Misha Collins um, at the end of the episode. And uh, he was God, but now he's apparently the Leviathan. It's a whole thing. <laughs> um, but it's he's definitely far more promising as a season long villain, or at least a minor villain. Than, than Eve from last season. And, of course, anytime Mark Shepard shows up, I'm, I'm a happy geek. So um, I thought it was a lot of fun, and I'm back on board for this season after not being so sure last season. Um, but let's move to Fringe. What did you think of the Fringe premiere? Uh, I think anything that moves to eliminate Joshua Jackson from the Fringe universe is a good move. I don't actually have anything against him, especially 
but I do find the dynamic between him and real Olivia or, you know, our Olivia uh, to be utterly, utterly boring. Uh, almost Jim and Pam levels of boring, actually, except in the drama realm. Um, they're, they have no chemistry and they're not interesting to watch. Uh, so now that he's sort of been eliminated from time, uh, except for a few flashes, I, I think that they're, they've got uh, an opportunity to go places. I mean, this was, in a strange way, sort of an, uh, an alternate pilot. Uh, you know, we we have Lincoln Lee, uh, played by Seth Gable, uh, coming into the fold and and essentially doing what uh, Olivia did in the in the original season one premiere, uh, which was an interesting approach. I mean, it wasn't their most exciting episode, uh, you know, tip pretty typical freak of the week type deal. Um, but I, I'm I'll be it, I mean I, I I watch Fringe regularly and I I plan to keep doing that. There was nothing in this uh, in this episode that suggested that they lost their touch. Yeah, it's. It, I thought it was a, a really strong season premiere because I wasn't sure how the show was going to work with Peter gone and just out. And that that raised raised so many questions about the universe. So did Olivia still go to the other universe if she didn't have Peter as a motivation to get over there? What's going on with Walter? You know, all of that. I thought they made a lot of really smart decisions on how they're constructing the universe without Peter. I think that the tease that we get of him um, throughout the episode is very well played, underplayed, and I'm hoping that will continue over the season. I, I like, of course, Seth Gable's greatest Lincoln. I I think, of course, their Lincoln is more fun than our Lincoln, so I'm hoping that they, we get a chance to see him some more too. But more than anything else, I thought it was so wonderful to get to watch Anna Torv play yet another version of Olivia. We've seen her as the broken down, you know, withdrawn character we got at the beginning of the series. We've seen her as the other Olivia. We've seen her as, uh, you know, when she lets her walls down and, and develops her relationship with Peter and becomes a much more happy person. And then now we and we've seen her as uh, as Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. And then now we get to see her as if she had never met Peter, but had still had some time to heal after the loss of her partner. So, yeah, it's, and I think she's doing really great work. And I don't, she's never going to get recognized, I don't no. think, by by the Emmys or even, you know, one of the, the more fake awards that are out there. It would be great to see her get a People's Choice even or a Golden Globe, but... She's doing great work, so I'm de- see. I'm torn because Fringe and Supernatural are, of course, on at the same time, and they are, in my opinion, the only two interesting shows on that evening because I, I haven't caught up with Nikita yet. So, you know, it's a big question of what's going to get the DVR and what's going to get the live watch, and if I'm going to start, I'm thinking of reviewing one of the two of them, but I'm not sure which one to do. So, mm. I know, what do you think? Uh, should, I, should I start reviewing Fringe? Well, I, I think, I, having not seen Supernatural, I can't imagine how it would have as much opportunity for, like, hilariously fun speculation every week uh, than Fringe would. I mean... Oh. Oh. Oh, trust oh, me. Can it? Supernatural okay. has plenty of... Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Oh, yeah. Lucifer's back, sort of, in Sam's mind. It's a whole thing. Okay, fair enough. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's hard to jump onto that one, but but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think Fringe is, is definitely worthy of, of weekly discussion. Um Especially since who knows if this if they're going to get a renewal or not. I mean, it's I I'm amazed they've made it to four seasons. So I'm happy with whatever fringe that we're able to get because I think they've really delivered. I wasn't sure about the series and its first, you know, especially at the end of the first season, but they've really I think developed into being a, a strong show. So mm-hmm. 
let's move. We're going to quickly just sort of glaze over Doctor Who because I have a review of that up on the website at soundonsite.org. So if, and there's a few comments there, some back and forth. So if, if you're interested in my fuller thoughts on the episode, you can go ahead and read them there. But it was nice, frothy fun. And James Corden was back. Uh, he was in the previous season as well. He's a British comedian. And he was, uh, he was a lot of fun here. And, of course, we got to see the Doctor talk baby, which is always, always fun. There's a baby named Stormageddon Dark Lord of All. So, our self, sorry, self-named Stormageddon Dark Lord of All. And anytime we get to have a character like that on Doctor Who, it's going to make me a happy Kate. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I'll just, I'll just leave it there. The next week is going to be the uh, season finale. So, I'm expecting lots of drama and awesomeness from from River Song and, and the silence and hopefully we'll get some answers, but, but let's move on to Sunday. Now this, we had the Boardwalk Empire season premiere, but neither of us have caught up with the first season. So we're not going to talk about that one. And unfortunately you don't care about this, but I do. The Bears lost to the Packers in what was a rather disappointing game. Excellent defense, terrible offense. And now, and all of my relatives are Packers fans. I don't think you understand this. <laughs> Do you have a similar kind of rivalry up in Canada? Maybe hockey. Uh, yeah, we have lots of rivalries up here. I don't follow any of them, though, unfortunately. Yeah. So my my, my Sunday started off, re- you know, I had a, a great uh, day at work and then unfortunate Bears-Packers experience. But then, luckily, in the evening, I got to watch the season premiere of Amazing Race. And this is a this is a show that I really enjoy and... I'm often like I I don't I don't usually miss it greatly when it's off the air but then like I was surprised by how quickly I was drawn back into the show and really enjoying the the experience. There's one of the teams is from Chicago so I'm rooting for them just you know out of I guess they seem like they're not like 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 they don't have any you know, red flags against them. They don't seem to bicker very much or yell at each other which is one of the insty disqualifiers for me. But but yeah, we'll see what happens. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, now you caught the Simpsons premiere. I didn't. Uh, I've, I haven't caught up with the Simpsons in many many years. But what did you think? Yeah, well, there's not too much precedent for how a show should be doing on its twenty third season. Um, I mean, I I hadn't really watched it in a, in a you know, maybe not as many years as you. Um, but it it had been a little while anyway. I was surprised at the uh, advancement of the animation, which has a lot more computer integration now. The voices all sound a little bit different, although, of course, they're all the same actors for the most part. It wasn't as funny as it was in its heyday, uh, but I was surprising myself by chuckling quite a bit, and uh, there was an amusing uh, guest spot from Kiefer Sutherland, who plays a a security guard at the power plant. And, uh, yeah, I I actually... It makes me wonder if I should be watching Simpsons more regularly, uh, because I, I did find myself enjoying it uh, more than 90% of the new pilots <laughs> I've been watching. I mean, it does get a bad rap, but I, th- I think that there's enough wit being thrown around to justify its continued existence. So good for them. That's great. That's great. Maybe I'll have to check that one back, check that one out and report back next week. But let's move on to the Pan Am pilot. Uh, what did what did you think of this one? I thought it was decent. Uh, I think when we were originally, uh, when it was became originally known that we were going to be inundated with two uh, sort of Mad Men inspired period shows, uh, this not, wasn't wasn't necessarily the one that I thought would have been promising. But that's how these things go. Uh, what's interesting to me is that um, I mean, most people are going to recognize Christina Ricci. Uh, one of the other leads, the, uh, the the French character Colette, is actually played by a Quebec uh, actress named Karine Vanasse, who's uh, very famous here. 
and I had no idea it was on this show. So it's interesting to see her and uh, Jessica Perry on Mad Men make the transition, of course. Although, of course, uh, from what I understand, Colette is actually from France and not from uh, not from Quebec, which is slightly, slightly dishonest. But anyway, yeah, I, I thought it was decent. Uh, it's funny. We uh, like the hour. I suppose we have another period show that sort of folds in uh, spy elements with uh, with other things in a relatively uh, smooth way. There's a, there was a nice bit of tension even in the scene when uh, she's. You know, trying when the uh, when the secret spy, the the sister, is sort of you know smuggling in the alternative passport. Yeah, I think there was enough to warrant uh, warrant a second or third episode watch. Yeah, I I was not interested in this pilot at all. I mean, I don't I understand why people like it, and I can see what you you enjoyed about it. But for me, it was lots of very pretty people in pretty places doing things that I didn't really care about, wasn't interested in, and I, I spent too much of the episodes thinking things like, oh, they have a new ship. They would never let a new first-time captain be in charge of the maiden voyage of their shiny new ship. That would not happen. Or things like, you know, Christina Ricci needs to wear less makeup and eat a cheeseburger <laughs> and things like that. So I was just... And also the oh, the music was incredibly over the top yes, and that was, always yeah. takes me out of it yeah it was i mean they had some great 60s tunes in there but uh but just the scoring was very over the top and um i kind of wanted the plane to explode at about the 10 minute mark thought that you know that'd be such an awesome amazing twist and then the show's actually completely different but of course that's not what it is but yeah no but yeah, so it's not for me. I'm not interested in it. It's very pretty. So if some people are looking for, I mean, of course the one, the one uh, stewardess is a spy, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so I can see why people will like it. And p- those who are interested in it, you know, who th- were intrigued by the the stuff we saw uh, prior, like the ads and things, I think will will enjoy it and and look enjoy it as a nice piece of fluff. And we so. we can agree that it's way better than the Playboy Club. Oh, yeah, way better than the Playboy Club. No competition there, so. Okay. We're going to talk Breaking Bad in our episode Spotlight, but uh, let's talk uh, The Good Wife premiere. What did you think of this one? Uh, I thought it was a, a really nice uh, little premiere, as much as Kalinda's accent was all over the place, as usual. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a nice a nice return, uh, especially for Alan Cumming, who got lots to do. You know, the, the the whole romantic angle of the show, which I think is really what helps sell it to uh, a lot of bored housewives, is the least interesting aspect. And they sort of downplay it from from where it was. It's funny because the, their their season so far have ended with with that as like a major cliffhanger element. And then the rest of the season tends to not make that big a deal out of it, which I think is a really smart move. It it got back to what it does best, which is being a really strong and interesting and vibrant legal drama crossed with, you know, some interpersonal stuff that's also interesting and you know, relatively not hackneyed. I, th- I think this uh, I think it's playing to its strengths and I think it's I hope it's going to continue to be on for a long time. Yeah, I think that The Good Wife is the show, particularly the network show that best balances the serial with the standalone. So the, the serial elements of the relationships and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get more about uh, um, Will's shady past and stuff meted out over the season but with, with the, the case of the week. Because a lot of shows are either good at one or the other, but they're really strong at both. I, I like the stuff that we're getting with Carrie and Kalinda. Um, apparently Carrie's not going to play ball anymore, and that's that's nice to see a nice change in the dynamic. 
Um, I think Peter at City Hall is going to be really interesting. And I, like you were saying, I thought uh, Alan Cumming was great as Eli. You know, it's, I think having him at Lockhart Gardner will manufacture more opportunities for him to spend time with Alicia. And I think that dynamic is, is really interesting mm-hmm. in the show. So, plus I look forward to Eli uh, running into Kalinda. And I think they could either, I don't know exactly how that's going to go, but I think mm-hmm. they could either be excellent partners or excellent enemies. So, And I want to mention uh, Fred Melamed as one of the new recurring judges, I suppose. Fred Melamed being from a Cy Abelman from uh, a serious man the guy th- this man will read the audiobook of my life someday so I'm very happy to see him on television I-, I laughed out loud at a few of his scenes I thought he was fantastic yeah I love their guest cast and Michael J Fox is going to be back for several episodes of seasons as well so I think nice they, they have the best I- and now that Friday Night Lights is no longer on the air I think they have the best extended cast on television on network television at least if not for sure overall so Let's move on to Monday. You were not able to catch the Terra Nova or Heart of Dixie pilots? No, I was not. No, okay, so I'll start out with that. Terra Nova is pretty much what you expect. There's dinosaurs, there's the action is actually pretty good, but it the pilot the the, the script is just too cliche and predictable for me. Um as soon as early in the episode they have it established how terrible the world that they're coming from is and you know the the main character has been in jail um, for daring to have a third child and and getting into a fight about it and 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 uh, so they face discrimination all the time you can't breathe the air and so they go to Terra Nova and then the wife asks what were we right to do this did we make the right choice and the fact that they waste any time on that discussion is is i think of course they made the right decision they couldn't even breathe where they were before but the show wants to manufacture drama out of that question and so yeah it's just it's not for me and the dinosaur effects were you know they were they were they were strong but they still didn't even feel like the dinosaurs were really there and this is a pilot they have spent endless hours and amounts of money on these are dinosaurs are going to be the the most uh, effective and best CGI probably in the series definitely for a while um, and definitely I would say probably for, for most of the first season and um, I wasn't convinced by these ones so I do not have high hopes for the rest of of the series so I'm, I'm sure people will like it but it's not for me um, and as for Heart of Dixie I really did not like this pilot I was not anticipating it but I thought it was pretty terrible. I mean, there's there's this horrible narration throughout the whole episode that I'm really hoping they will ditch for the rest of the series because it is not good. But, yeah, I mean, it, the the only part of the episode that I particularly enjoy, I mean, Scott Porter is, is good. Of course, he's QB1 from Friday Night Lights. But I couldn't even like Rachel Bilson and her, her the main character. And I, I, I've liked her in the past. I think she's actually a rather likable presence. But, yeesh. But enough talk about uh, disappointing pilots. So uh, what did you think of the How I Met Your Mother episode three? Uh, I thought, like last week, I think they're in a nice place right now. They've, they've really got, in terms of the editing and the and the performances and the writing, I, th- I think they're in their element right now. They're not trying to do anything too serious or too, uh, uh, too big picture. Uh, that being said, I do think the end of the episode, because I was, I was sort of thinking that... that uh, that Victoria might stick around, and I guess that's not happening, which is interesting. But also, you know, the way they sort of lead, lead it off with this ominous thing of, oh, you know, the, the gang's not always going to work, and we probably won't see the repercussions of that for another few episodes. I'm just hoping that they don't spend half the season on, you know, 
diagnosing the Robin, Ted, Barney dichotomy. Like this is not what people really want to spend time with. I don't think, or at least I don't. Uh, what I don't. Know, what do you think? Um, I think that the episode really worked. I was very glad to get Victoria back on on the show because I think she was like I said last week. She's one of the the hanging threads that they hadn't really addressed. So I thought that she had such fantastic chemistry with Josh Radner, and I wish that any of the other characters that they have brought in to be his, you know, girlfriend filling time until we meet the mother, uh, worked as well as she does here. Cause I think she's, she's really great. I felt like I was right back in season one or season two. Like I really liked Ted when he was with her other than the whole cheating on, uh, his, uh, mm-hmm. her, her fiance thing. But anyways, I still really liked Ted with her. And I think that's a, a difficult thing to pull off because I usually don't like Ted when he's in a relationship. Um, I was glad that they didn't stretch it out as much as I enjoyed her. Obviously, they weren't going to end up together, so I'm glad that they didn't really waste too much time trying to make us think that maybe they would. Um, and I liked the the stuff with Lily's boobs. And as far as the end of the episode goes, I feel like that's just more going to be more of a thing that they're going to use to lead towards Barney. And I, I think it's going to be Robin, um, at the, at the wedding at the end of the se- uh, season. So I think that bringing up some sort of an explanation for why this guy is, uh, you know, Ted who so desperately is looking for the one is the serious, a serious relationship and, um, to, to move on with his life hasn't been able to, and I think, you know, having that, that element of it as like, well, you know, there's a reason and it's because you're, you're stuck with the same, the same routine and the same group and the same people. So it's not going to work until something changes. I think that makes sense. Um, as long as they don't try to tease us that Robin and, and Ted are going to get back together at all. I'm okay with it, but they'll probably do that at least once. Come on. This is how I met your mother. Yeah, but they've already done that so many times and the way the last time they did it, they they handled it well and they put a bow on it and that that storyline is done. So, as if they can just manage to discuss the topic without without falling back into that same same trap, I'll be interested. If not, then I really uh, can get frustrated with at least that element of the show pretty quickly. But what did you think of the? Uh, all, all of the stuff with Marshall and the the tie and Barney. Oh, that was all great, and it brings back one of their one of their most successful recurring motifs of betting and commitments. You know, now of course uh, Neil Patrick Harris is stuck with the duck tie for a, for a year, and that's you know I'm sure that's going to open up a whole new avenue uh, of duck and mallard puns, which they're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of fun with. Uh, there aren't too many shows that you can look forward to a year's worth of puns with, and I think. Uh, that that's something that they've they uniquely have earned. No, I you know it's a I, I'm looking forward to spending more time with them this this uh this season and it's a nice highlight to my Monday nights. Let's take a break and listen to some music and we'll come back with our episode spotlight on this week's Breaking Bad.
that was Truth by Alexander, one of the tracks featured in actually the season premiere of Breaking Bad this year, uh, Box Cutter. There wasn't actually any music in this week's episode, Crawl Space, so I couldn't draw from that. But, you know, still a, a good track nonetheless. And I mean, I just love their music on Breaking Bad. It's it's so mm-hmm. good. Um, so last week we had one hell of an episode in Salud and, it you know, an incredibly gripping, particular ending scene. Um, what did you think of this week? What did you think of the episode overall? How do you think it compared? And what did you think of this ending, uh, which was another dramatic, you know, season uh, episode ending? Yeah, I, I thought it was another really strong installment. Maybe not quite as uh, striking as last week, but I, I think that if there's one thing that Breaking Bad does very well, and everyone can agree on this, I think it's endings. Whether it's episode endings or series endings, that they 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 generally don't do them weekly. They go big. Uh, and this season is clearly no exception. They're they're on a crazy sprint towards some conclusion that I'm starting to piece together. Maybe what will happen, but but really, it's a total crapshoot. Uh, once again, the uh, the directing, acting, editing, scoring is all at, absolutely top notch, uh, and we see that especially in those closing minutes. I mean, uh, that image of of Walt, you know, in the under you know in the crawl space under the basement where, where the money should be and isn't and and his and, you know by this point uh, I, I saw I, I read somebody suggested that he has the face of meth like he has the face he has you see the ravages of his work on his face and it, it's true and it, it's true you know he's he's so beat up he's got an extra bandage on the on on his on his uh, uh on his face now he's he's all bruised and just looks awful and he's cackling and the phone is ringing. And Skylar just looks terrified down at him, and and that soundtrack uh, does something interesting where you know you've got this full track that sort of sort of sighs, and you just have a pulse, the boom, 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 and that everything about that closing sequence is simultaneously hilarious and terrifying. Um, yeah, that was great. The rest of the episode is strong, but but not as memorable as as that closing sequence. That being said. Uh, I am glad that we may well have seen the last of Ted Beneke. Yeah, do you think he's actually dead or, you know, because they specifically didn't say that he was dead in this. I noticed that in, in the scene with, with Saul. Do you think he's dead or do you think he's in a coma somewhere? I think he's going to be hanging out with, uh, with, what's his, with, with uh, what's his name? Hector? Hector. Uh, it, I, th- I think they're going to be having a lot of conversations. Yeah, well, either way, I think he's pretty much out of the picture, whether or not he's totally dead. Um, I love the little the little bit of foreshadowing with his with him tripping over the rug a little, and then, and Christopher Cousins, as as has been noted, has a bad history of, of dying embarrassingly on on excellent TV dramas, as uh, as uh, he suffered a similar fate on on Terriers. Um, did, now, how did you feel about this week in in comparison to uh, Salud? I mean, I. I thought it was, of course, an excellent episode. I thought it was very well executed. I thought the the script uh, was well written, and the I was very glad to see to see Hank back uh, again, and um, I thought that there was some really effective stuff. Even with I know the Skylar and Ted um, plotline isn't usually as interesting to to fans as everything else that's going on, but I thought it was actually very effective here, and I really liked what, the bit that we got of it. Um, and of course we got to see Bill Burr back again, which is fun. Um, big mm-hmm. fan of him, but, um, I just, it brings me back to that same problem that I have with the show in that I really don't like Walt and it was nice to like him very briefly, um, in the previous episode, but 
I just don't understand why Skylar is exposing her children to him and is putting herself in this position because, and there's some great comments actually about this. I, I could, I knew I shouldn't really be talking about all this on the website at uh, responding to your review. Cause we were going to talk about it here, but couldn't help myself. It's just such a great episode to talk about <laughs> there. So that, so people should check out your review on the, on Sundown site and, uh, and leave some comments and see what people are saying. Cause it's, it's been fun talking about it there, but, I don't understand why she isn't sticking him on a bus, turning him into the cops, something, because her family would not be in danger. Her extended family would not be in danger if it weren't for him. And I just, I can't, for a character that I am trying to like and to understand in Skylar, <laughs> I don't understand how she can endanger her child, her either of her children, but particularly her infant daughter, by exposing him, her, uh, her to this man. Well, there's something uh, that we haven't really talked about that I think is is worthy of remissioning, which is that Skylar White isn't exactly a great person either. <laughs> I mean, she she might be less despicable. She's certainly less despicable than Walt. She's done uh, less despicable things, but she has broken bad in her own way, and especially recently on the show. And I, I think that. Uh, there, I think that her and Walt would like it or not have more in common than they used to. Well, yeah, but the thing that, more than anything else, you'd think that her maternal in instincts would kick in and her desire to protect her children. I mean, even the most terrible people, for the most part, usually want to protect their children and, and themselves. If nothing else, you'd think, I mean, if she's anywhere near as selfish as Walt, which she's not, but if she were, she would be trying to protect herself. But I just don't get why she's not trying to... How she doesn't see that there's an obvious and clear and effective way to protect herself and her children in this situation. I just don't get it. Would it be effective, though? Is she, yes. is she how, it, it's, it's effective to just leave? Do you think so? I think, it's, I think the only danger to her is through Walt. I think Gus doesn't have a problem with her or her family if Walt's oh, I not there. I think he there. does. I, I I think I think as I think anyone who has knowledge of Walt's activity. See, but she doesn't. Endangered. I don't think she does. I, I think the only thing that she knows is that he cooks meth. She doesn't know where. She doesn't know how. She doesn't know for whom. There's she has no she, kn she knows. She knows he's a meth manufacturer for someone who generates a whole lot of income, and she knows the people he works for are dangerous. I think that's enough for Gus to be worried about. Gus is a very meticulous person think that he has a uh, reason I, I think that you know there's a reason that he threatens his entire family it's because he's willing to do that well yeah and that was another thing I, and i posted a comment about this too but how does walt not already know that of course gus would kill his family i mean how stupid can walt be he's he well this is a, this is a question that comes up a lot did he watched the events of the premiere right he he remembers that the 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 box cutter and the slitting of the throat mm -hmm. and the killing the person who is one of his helpful longtime associates just to prove a point i mean sorry <laughs> mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean and all that being said it's still obviously it's a fantastic show so if whatever issues i have with um or frustrations i have with the characters it's just because they've managed to make me invest in the show so um mm -hmm. i i think that the more i think about it the more i think the season is is headed for some sort of alliance between hank and walt but do you think uh, they can really stretch that for a 16 episode um fifth season though 
well, they may not have to. I mean, who, who knows what they're the, – the, you can't try to predict more than two or three episodes ahead in this thing, and even that's a, a foolhardy endeavor. Um, that That's just the, the place that I would – that I think would be most satisfying and that I think would be most plausible in terms of ways for uh, Walt to actually get out. I do have a criticism about this episode in the last couple episodes in general, though, which is that the first nine episodes especially were so leisurely in their pacing, and we really got to, for whatever the flaws were, we really got to spend a lot of time, uh, alone time with with uh, with Jesse and Hank and even Marie. And now the pace is so accelerated that there's actually a lot going on with Jesse in particular. I mean, he's this episode he's back to hanging out with uh, his, his girlfriend and, and her son. Uh, which he wasn't doing. He was explicitly not doing just a couple episodes ago. And, and that feels like that's a moment that we should have seen. That feels like that's a kind of a big deal. And it was just glossed over. It's not not exactly glossed over, but just not spent significant. Like, we haven't spent enough time with that. And I would have liked to have spent more time with him uh, in the post-Mexico fallout and sort of dealing with his issues. Uh, we haven't mm-hmm. had enough time for his uh, sort of psychological development over this period, which has helped to make things more unpredictable. But I think from a dramatic standpoint, it's a little bit, uh, you know, we, we could have used an episode somewhere in there. I mean, it would have broken the the, break, the breakneck pace, which would have been a, a tragedy. But I would like to know more of what's going on in Jesse's head. And I hope we do get more of that uh, before the season uh, ends. Now, I have a question for you. Um, when I was watching this, what occurred to me, of course, there's the incredible, incredibly, a, a bit on the nose, I would say, uh, uh prominence of knocking at doors and people who is knocking and who is answering but watching this episode what occurred to me more than anything else is that forget walt skyler is the one who knocks and she might not realize it yet and she might not be there yet but i feel like she's the one who knocks of the two of them what do you think huh well i mean we've seen well i mean let's not forget um half measures from from last uh, from last season, Walt is is capable of knocking uh, when, just so to speak, when the when the urge comes to him. I think right now he's in a pretty useless uh, mental space. I'll be curious to see if he snaps back into focus uh, before the season's out. I think Skyler uh, definitely has the potential to do some serious damage, um, and mm-hmm. you know, and be, feel- and be the one and be the one who knocks. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's it's less of capable of murder and more the the dominance and control mm. and forethought and calculation i feel like and we see Walt we see a bit of that is reactionary yeah and, and we we see a bit of that in that last scene when when she manages to sort of distance herself from the madness and and talk to marie and say it's going to be fine and that yeah i, th- I think mm-hmm. we we do see her sort of taking control of the situation and uh be curious to see how that plays out uh, but yeah, Skylar is is the one variable that I really have no idea what's going to happen with before the season's out. Uh, I, I like that they uh, remembered that she has had a, has a baby in this one. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Holly's been a sort somewhat of an invisible, uh, in, invisible, silent presence for m- most of the season. So it was it was nice for uh, for that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, I mean, it's it's. I think we could keep talking for a while here, um, but we are running kind of long. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to touch on? Uh, not really. Uh, check out my uh, recaps. They they usually uh, <laughs> they usually show up around two or three in the morning Eastern on uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, sorry, on, on early Monday morning, Sunday night, whatever you want to call that, depending on what kind of a person you are. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I try to get them up as soon as possible, but of course, it's not always uh, a plausible thing to do. 
um you know once the season's over i'll be i'll be happy to speculate on whether on where this places in the pantheon of breaking bad seasons and whether or not this best season 3 i think it has the possibility if it keeps this if it keeps this level of, of quality up uh i just hope they don't screw it up yeah two episodes left so it'll i think it'll be it's safe to say it'll be a breakneck pace till then and yep. it'll be a hell of a ride so so yeah, um, so before we go to our DVD shelf segment, um, of course you can always contact us at, uh, leave comments at soundonsite.org where there'll be a post for this episode. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a comment there or a review. It'd be great if we could, if, and, you know, if, if you like the show, then you know, leave us a comment. Or rate uh, us. Leave us a, Rating or rate is us. Um, I'm on Twitter at The Televerse. And I am at uh, Sucker Owl. That's... Sucker, H-O-W-E-L-L. And of course, uh, you can send us any email at uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. We're still waiting to, to hear back from people about uh, what shows you want us to cover uh, and, and if we can cover on the site, not just in the podcast. So let us know what you think about that. And we are definitely looking for some more uh, contributors to the TV section. So, so let us know if that's of interest to you. Mm. And yeah, we're going to go off now uh, for... Oh, before I forget, I keep forgetting. Um, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. And uh, we're going to go to our DVD shelf segment now uh, covering Middleman with uh, Big Red Podcast Alyssa Boehm. So that was a lot of fun and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Wendy Watson, meet your new boss. Evening, man. I'm the middleman. You've met Ida. This temp agency is a recruitment front for our organization. Didn't your test tell you I have issues with authority? I told you she'd be no good. Can it, Yoda? We're talking. I wouldn't go so far as to refer to myself as an authority figure. I'm more like... An independent contractor. What's that mean? You build strip malls? Kill people? What? I never build strip malls. I solve exotic problems. Define exotic. Oh. You know how in comic books there's all kinds of mad scientists and aliens and androids and monsters and all of them want to either destroy or take over the world? In comic books, sure. Well, it really does work like that. Get out. You already forgot what you saw? And you're the superhero? I never wear tights. I'm crushed. Welcome back. You're listening to The Televerse with Kate Kulzik and Simon Howell. And this week from the DVD shelf, we're talking about the 2008 series, The Middleman. And joining us is Alyssa Bohm from the Big Red Podcast. Thanks for coming on, Alyssa. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good time. So what was it about Middleman that prompted your interest? Um, well, it was sort of an unexpected discovery at the time. We watched it when it aired live on ABC Family, which is a weird channel for us to ever pay attention to. Mm -hmm. 2008, it was a summer series. And, you know, it was created by a guy who was involved with Lost. And as big Lost fans, we thought it was worth checking out. So it sounded a little bit quirky. And like many things, we sort of figured we'd check out the pilot and see how it turned out. And it was pretty engaging right out of the gate. And I would say as a series, it's 12 episodes. 
It's nicely self-contained. There are a lot of weird, fun things that happen. It's a pretty light kind of action series. It was just not like anything we were seeing at the time, or even now. Well, it's based on a comic book series by the creator, I'm going to probably butcher this, but Javier Grillo Marswatch, something like that. Um, I think it's Marquash. Okay. I, I'm probably wrong, and my sister, the Spanish major, is probably shaking her head right now if she's listening. Um, Simon, I believe that you were new to this uh, series when we decided to talk about it. Yeah, actually, of all the shows that were uh, pitched for guest spots, this was the one show that I was like, what? What is this? <laughs> uh, it was the one show that I'd never heard of, and I thought maybe I was an idiot for not hearing of it. But then I realized it was on ABC Family, so then I felt like less of an idiot. It's funny, the show that it reminded me of as I started watching it was actually uh, The Tick. Yes. And uh, then I uh, delved into the show a bit and realized that the co-creator, uh, Les McLean, is actually currently writing The Tick comic. So these these things are tightly associated. It, it's definitely fun, and it, it's a really nice break from all the heavy, heavy stuff I've been watching. I think a lot of it has to do with how... Um, I mean, the writing is great. It's thick with references and, and, and asides and little running gags uh and natalie morales is great uh, she is so cute i yes, love yes. Her. I first noticed her i think on, on on parks and rec when she was playing um lucy uh, the bartender with lucy nothing. yeah as his ansari is like not very long-term girlfriend and i, I thought oh I, why haven't i seen her before and now i realize it's because she was doing things like this and uh she's great yeah it's it's a hell of a lot of fun i discovered this show back shortly after it started airing when I was in grad school. I was in the sci-fi club on campus down at U of I, and somebody brought it to watch one week, and I was like, where have you been all of my summer? Because I feel like this is one of those shows for which the target demographic is pretty much me, <laughs> you know? I love sci-fi, and I love all of these different geeky things that the show really revels in, particularly references and just even tiny little shout-outs of the fake names that they use or people that they run into. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed catching up with the series again. Now, can someone explain to me what exactly they do at ABC Family? Because from what I understand, they're, they're, they're not necessarily for kids because they keep doing things like this and uh, Pretty Little Liars. And th this show is not, the brand of humor is not necessarily aimed at children. No, this show is, is basically like, when your neighbor's dog had like the litter of puppies and there was like the one dog that didn't look like any of the other puppies, that's what the show is. But ABC Family, I mean, they specialize mostly in sort of like pulpy, soapy teen dramas, stuff that I don't watch, but one of my podcast colleagues, he watches everything on ABC Family and then reports on it weekly. And it's sad and upsetting and terrifying. But so this was a weird thing because I think this show launched with Secret Life of an American Teen, which <laughs> wow, further away from it. Yeah. <laughs> but ABC Family is like, this is really hilarious. It's kind of like the poor man CW. Ooh. Like, you can't get Gossip Girl, but we'll get, you know, like the knockoff of Gossip Girl. Oh, my. Yeah. Hmm. It's high quality with a K. <laughs> <laughs> For me, one of the things that one of the shows that kind of reminded me of for that reason and pretty much that reason alone is Veronica Mars because mm -hmm. that's a show that you know I kept hearing such great things about and my initial reaction was always 
But it's on UPN. Yeah. So I think that might be part of why this show didn't really succeed. I mean, it's a one series show that we're talking about. Clearly it didn't break through in a way that I would say that it deserved to. I would assume you guys would as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, I would have been happy to watch uh, seasons more of this. But at the same time, I like that they told a story. They kind of wrapped things up. It feels like a satisfying kind of one and done season, which very which doesn't really happen very frequently in the genre stuff. Now, I couldn't find information about this. I don't know if you guys know about this. Do you know if they were able to get enough head start or warning the producers of the show to to wrap it up in, you know, so that they cuz the last episode is an alternate reality episode. It sort of works very, I would say elegantly for this sort of a series to to kind of wind everything up in a satisfying way is that just was that just happenstance do you know my understanding was that they sort of had a sense of this of the show not going forward any anymore and that they they tried they actually had their order cut from 13 to 12 they wanted to roll their money for this extra episode into uh, episode 12 which is has a little more set piece in action than a lot than some of the other episodes do so i think they tried to wrap things up as much as they could uh while still you know if there was some sort of miraculous uh 11th hour thing that happened but i think for the most part they kind of did what they could now kate you mentioned that this uh show is sort of engineered towards a demographic of of you which may explain why it was not a ratings dynamo (laughs) yeah Uh, absolutely um who who would you recommend this show to I feel like this show is in many ways a predecessor or, or a successor to Spaced and a predecessor to Community. And I think people who enjoy particularly the second season of Community where it's um, being so geared towards episodes based around a particular theme or a particular cultural touch, touch point who are also fans of, you know, classic sci-fi or comic books or that sort of realm of popular culture i think that's who this show would appeal to or also potentially fans of futurama oh yeah that's true yeah it does it does have that well it's it does have this that very rapid fire sense of humor that i think merits that comparison i only got to watch about four episodes i I was a little disappointed that i didn't have time to watch the entire season but it, it it's a really pleasant series i wish there were more shows that were just sort of that light and frothy and enjoyable and just no stakes while also being really fun to watch yeah another show that it sort of reminds me of in that sense is is chuck and maybe Alyssa, you can chime in here let me know you know what you think about this but one of the things i enjoy about chuck is that for the most part it's it feels like it's popcorn you know it's really light and and fun and entertaining and if you can sit down and you're not gonna have to you know, get, come away from the episode that you're watching depressed or angry, like, you know, so many of the shows that I like to watch, like, you know, Breaking Bad and that sort of stuff. You can just come away having had a fun, enjoyable romp. What do you think about that comparison? Um, I personally do not care for Chuck. Okay. But I do agree that it's it's certainly a palate cleanser if you're used to watching, you know, if you're going into intense, serialized dramas and you just want to put something on to sort of I mean whenever people talk about I just want to watch something and unplug my brain um Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't 
you don't really unplug your brain, but you just, because there are so many jokes and references that are fun and worth paying attention to. But I, I do feel like there is sort of this madcap notion to the show that, again, for a one hour show is very, it's very unusual because like I said, the, most of the examples I could think of where it's similar, they're half hour kind of comedy shows. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, if you like Archer, I think you would probably enjoy this show. If, if you watch like certainly community, I can see where that would fit in um, very nicely. The other thing that I was thinking about when I was uh, rewatching some of the episodes was that it's really dense with references, but they're kind of timeless references. And I, I kind of thought that would date the show a little bit, but it seems to, they seem to hold, I mean, it's only been three years, but they seem to hold up pretty well. Well, when I watched this the first time, there are certain series that I hadn't seen at all. For One of the big one is Doctor Who. I had not seen any of Doctor Who at that point. And so when I was rewatching it again, there were all these great Doctor Who references that I was really enjoying, but that I hadn't missed the first time. I hadn't realized that I was missing anything. So if, even if, you know, you're someone who doesn't have that huge back catalog of you know, cultural references to, to draw upon. I feel like the show is very well written to give a nod to those who know about it, but not detract from those who don't. Absolutely. I mean, it's a very user-friendly show. And I would say it's, it's a fairly like family. I mean, this is the part of ABC family that I always laugh about because it's not a family friendly network. It's kind of filled with awfulness, but I actually, this is a pretty family friendly show. You could watch with, you know, a slightly older kid, Mm -hmm. uh, who I'm sure would have a great time with it. And even even the stuff that is slightly risque, it's just going to go over their head anyway. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there are a lot of yeah, there are a lot of jokes. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of wordplay in this in the series. So, Simon, what what episodes did you get to watch? Uh, I got to watch the first 3 episodes. Okay. Actually, I, I I had to skip around a bit based on availability, but one thing that struck me in in uh, one of the episodes I watched was there was a bunch of Leo Fulci references they were they were throwing around. It's like they 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 were just going for the for the obvious sort of sort of references. They would dive in for the for the really you know deep pop culture references that you really need to be like a huge nerd to appreciate. And you were sort of uh, leaning that direction, Kate. Uh, I, I think the the more you know about you know sort of general geekdom, uh, I, I think the more you're going to appreciate it. At the same time, if you don't get any of the references, you're still going to have fun with it. I would say that this is not a show for everyone. This is not a show that I could sit down with my parents and watch. I mean, I, they would like it. They wouldn't have a problem with it. But they don't have that same sort of interest and level of, of knowledge, as particularly of more recent um, geek and other of references. So this is not – I mean, it, it's it's solid if, if you're not interested in that realm of, of pop culture and such. But it might not be as engaging – to those to those who are less interested in in the geek world yeah like if your favorite show is ncis with <laughs> csi chaser like you're my mom, <laughs> uh then you're probably gonna you're just gonna look at this and just go that's a weird show Alyssa. it's weird it's very weird uh, well, well and also you need to be up for something that's totally silly and absolutely stakes free and they and is and does not take itself remotely seriously no, and I and I would agree with that. Although uh, I do think as the series progresses, it becomes a little there. There's certainly more moments of um, of emotional heft that are a little bit unexpected, but are don't feel unearned. And uh, so I really like the finale for that reason. There's there's a little kind of 
the way it's resolved is is has a little bit more emotional um, oomph than you might expect. For me, one of the things that I particularly enjoy in this season, and it's more towards the the latter half, is the main character's relationship with her boyfriend because it's one of the more stable and realistic ones that I've seen on TV in a while. And it's really nice to, you know, have that portrayal on a a TV show that I'm watching. Yeah, and I would say the entire cast is really good. I mean, there really aren't any uh, weak links in the series. Um, It's, I'm... I'm sort of disappointed that they haven't been able to go on to do more stuff. I mean, I know Britt Morgan has a very thankless role on True Blood right now. Natalie Morales has had this, like, we think you're cute. We're going to put you on other shows kind of thing that keeps happening to her. She's been on uh, White Collar. She got on Parks and Rec. And I feel like I, she was somewhere else. Maybe she was just recast. I'm still hoping that she's going to pop back up on Parks and Rec next season. But well, I was surprised when she popped up and then they literally did nothing with her uh, because she's she has real I feel like she has real comedic chops. I mean, certainly based on what we're seeing, she can deal with this like complex dialogue. I mean, the speeches that they give on this show are not short I mean, they're very dense. There's a lot of language to sort of wrap your tongue around. And, you know, she handled it pretty well. So I was I was pretty surprised they didn't do more with her. Yeah, um, for those fans of True Blood who may be listening, um, Britt Morgan is the actress who plays Debbie Pelt, so she's playing a very different character here, so fans of her may, from True Blood may enjoy checking it out as well. And then Brendan Hines, I believe, yeah, Brendan Hines, who plays Tyler, it was on uh, Lie to Me for a while, but um, but other than, yeah, other than that, these... I was surprised Kieslar wasn't able to sort of get more out of it, um... But, I don't know, maybe he'll show up in Whit Stillman's next project. Yeah. Uh, and we've also got, of course, uh, Jake Smollett, who uh, plays Noser. Mm-hmm. And he's the brother of Journey Smollett from Friday Night Lights. And his, may I just say, that his other siblings' names, and I'm not making this up, are Jojo, Jazz, Jesse, and Jacquee. I love it. Okay. I just, I, <laughs> as soon as I, I discovered this fact roughly 12 seconds ago, and I felt like I had to share it. <laughs> No, I think I, good to. <laughs> I think that's worth sharing. Yeah, fair enough. So, Alyssa, do you have a particular favorite episode or? Oh, you know, I, I really like the, um, the Sino Mexican revelation. Sorry, of course, featuring the uh, the chairman himself from Iron Chef America. Yeah, that's right. Which is uh, this is the first uh, one I watched, and when the when the chairman showed up, I was like, "Yes, this show is amazing!" So yeah, it's good times. Um, I also like the I like the um, I like the vampire the vampire puppet episode, which is ridiculous, and the fact that I have two favorite vampire puppet episodes in just TV or like just TV life. It's kind of ridiculous. But I also really liked the finale, too. I, I thought that was fun. The zombie episode is really fun. I mean, you really can't go wrong with any episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the ones that aren't, like, you know, your maybe, like, super favorites are still pretty good. And there's still a lot of jokes and uh, a lot of funny stuff going on. So I hadn't realized how much we had internalized the middleman just in our everyday sort of, like, lexicon until I was rewatching it. And I was like, oh, that's where we got that from. We're going to teach uh, our kid all about this stuff and she'll be, she'll be fine. She'll be better for it. Yeah. She'll be, she'll be prepared for 
any one season television show that she loves yeah experience yeah she'll be ready I'm a particular fan of the Die Hard episode myself because Die Hard is probably one of the films I've seen the most number of times. Just something like that is right up my alley. It's good. It's it's good times. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all fun in different ways. Uh, the one where they bring back uh, the middleman from like the '60s, Kevin Sorbo. Yes, that is a fantastic <laughs> one too. I, the other thing that they do is they find a terrible outfit to put Natalie Morales in in every episode <laughs> where she's she ends up in some sort of what my mother would call it a get up that uh, <laughs> it's just you know but she she does she's so great in the role I mean she's really game for anything yeah this could be a pretty uninteresting role in the hands of a less skilled performer I would say it's she brings a lot of depth and charm to to dub dub and I think she's a big part of what makes the show a success absolutely and how often can you say someone brings depth to a character named dub dub not often Alyssa since we have you on can I ask you an ABC family related question um okay uh, I, I know this is slightly off topic, but I, I've been hearing about this for a while and I feel the need to ask. Is State of Georgia really as insane as I keep hearing it is? Uh, yes. Okay. Just yeah, checking. We, we did we did, we did watch the obligatory uh, one episode and I assume it just gets worse. It was awful and upsetting and off-putting. <laughs> okay. That's probably all I need to know. I was just curious. I've I'd been hearing very strange things about it. Yeah, if you if you have to find a single scene that sort of sums up the sort of schizophrenic nature of this show, I would say it's the food seduction scene from the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's all I need. Yeah. It's it's always a promising description. Yeah. So, The Middleman, it's it's on DVD, but none of us can find it. Oh, really? I was just checking this morning. I saw it uh, on Amazon. Oh, I couldn't find it at any of my lo- local libraries. I couldn't find it at any stores near me. I think... Well, that makes sense. It's... I didn't know that you could even go to a store anymore and, buy- and get DVDs. I thought you had to... <laughs> Are you talking about, like, a video store? We don't have those anymore. <laughs> uh, no, I do know that it's available on DVD. Is it on Netflix? I didn't check. You know, I don't have Netflix, so I'm not sure. But I would say it's worth people just, you know... If, if if the topic sounds interesting to people, I think they should just invest the 20 bucks or whatever it costs and just get it from Amazon. It wasn't very much money on Amazon. And I, I promise that for if you do a if you do a, a, a dollar cost average. You will probably derive more entertainment per dollar from it than you're not going to get like video game quality. You know, nobody ever beats that one, but it's pretty close. Well, and it's really, it's eminently rewatchable. The uh, the oh, episodes yeah, yeah. really hold up, so you know it's it's a worthwhile investment, I would say. Yeah, we've we bought the DVDs when they when it, they became available, and I would say we probably go back to them like once every year. Probably watch like a whole bunch of them. Usually, it's usually in the summer, like around this time, where it's just sort of like, hey, you want to watch some Middleman because it's so good. And we're like, yeah, it is so good. And then we watch it, and we're like, it was so good. <laughs> so glad we have it. Well, and it's also a great opportunity for people who like to share 
with their friends, shows with discoveries with their friends, or have movie nights and stuff. It, you know, that's a good one to be able to pull off the shelf and be like, oh, have you heard of The Middleman? Oh, it's a great show. I'm awesome because I like it. You should check it out too. So you can get some geek cred. You are absolutely going to, yeah, build up the, the nerd cred on that yeah. one. Well, any uh, final thoughts, uh, Simon? Uh, no, I think we just about covered it. Fun show. Too bad it didn't get more episodes, but the 12 that we've got uh, are a good time. I'm looking forward to finishing off uh, the series when I get a free second. Alyssa? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for a one-and-done series, it's very, very satisfying. Um, I do know that they did, like, a wrap-up uh, comic book, uh, like a one-off uh, comic. That I think they just took the script for the unproduced episode and basically that's what the comic book is. So I read it and, you know, you definitely see ele- they were able to put some elements of, uh, of this unproduced episode into the finale. So it all, it all works. You didn't, you didn't really miss out on anything, but there are some fun things that happen with the, the last comic book. So if you can track it down, it's on the internets. Cool. Just Google it. Good times. Um, so Alyssa, where can our listeners find you? Uh, we, I'm at bigredpodcast.com where uh, we do it a weekly <laughs> talk about TV. And, uh, yeah, so BigRedPodcast.com is a good place to start to find us. Cool. And uh, Twitter or anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, Twitter.com slash BigRedPodcast and iTunes, of course. Okay, well, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Okay, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.